0: All right, so we're gonna spend a few moments this morning. Um, we're we're doing it like the old days. We're gonna spend a few minutes this morning reading through scripture. Um, this is the read and rant, and we're doing it like the old days in that we are doing it in the car. Actually, when we first started the read and rant, we started doing them to get in the car. And I know there's some OGs in here who were here with me when we were doing the read and rant in the car, uh, and then eventually we we leveled up and put it inside of a room, and then we leveled up and actually got a microphone and did all that good stuff. So now we are here today to do the Read and Rant. We're going to do it like old times. Since I'm out of town and I wanted to commit to doing this with you guys, we're going to spend time in the reading of the word together in the car. And so I want to encourage you right now to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 25. If you are here for the first time, this is the Read and Rant where we come together for about 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes every day reading through scripture. And then we spend another 20 to 30 minutes reflecting on the scripture. I have nothing planned. So whatever comes out, it comes out. That's why I call it a rant. So that way I keep the, you know, keep the bar real low for (laughs) y'all as we just spend time in reflection. This is an opportunity for you guys to journey with me through the reading of the totality of scripture. We want to read through the entire Bible. That's the mission here. Is to read through the entire Bible together, and so I want you to read with me. We'll be in Isaiah <clears throat> chapter twenty-five. We started from Genesis, and now we're go- we're in Isaiah. Um, when we were actually doing it in the car, I believe we were in the in the New Testament still. Uh, when we were in the car, where we were reading through the entire New Testament, so we've read through the entire New Testament. Now we're going to read through the entire um, Old Testament. And so we're in Isaiah 25. So we've gone through a lot of scripture. And so we're just going to spend a few moments reading. If you can, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 25. And of course, as I mentioned to you before, if you're in our Patreon community, you know what it's what it looks like to do more of an in-depth Bible study, right? Where we're digging through scripture, exegeting scripture, expositing scripture, and getting to an understanding if it's a topic or if it's the scripture itself, just, just navigating through that scripture. But today, what we're doing is, this morning is, we're doing a reflection. And so I want you to ask three questions as you're reading. I want you to ask, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question I want you to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question I want you to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? God, what are you revealing concerning and so we're going to prayerfully ask those questions as we read through, this, through the scripture and read through the text, and we'll be in Isaiah 25. So I'll pray, and I want you to pray, and we're going to get right in. Father, I ask that you would speak to us today. Lord, reveal to us the truth of your word. Lord, reveal to us your heart. Reveal to us your wisdom, your insight. Father, I pray that you would bless us, Lord. Bless us today. Unless we read your word, let it not be our wisdom imparted on the word. But Father, I pray that you would transform our mind
1: and our heart that we may see you in your scripture. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Isaiah 25, verse 1, it says this. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are... Faithfulness and truth. For you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a palace of foreigners to be a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, the strong people will glorify you, the city of terrible nations will fear you. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. For the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. You will reduce the noises of aliens and heat in a dry place. As heat in a dry place, as heat in the shadow of a cloud, the song of the terrible ones will be diminished. And in this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wine, wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, the rebuke of his people, He will take away from all the earth. And it will be said in that day Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For on this mountain the hand of the Lord will rest, and Moab will be trampled down under him, as straw is trampled down for the refuse heap, and he will spread out his hands in their midst. As a swimmer reaches down, or sorry, reaches out to swim, and he will bring down their pride together with the trickery of their hands. The fortress of the
1: high fort of your walls, he will bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground, down to the dust. Isaiah 26. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God
0: will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in a perfect place whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, the Lord is everlasting in strength. For he brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city, he lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread it down. The feet of the poor and the steps of the needy. The way of the just is uprightness. O most upright, you weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of your soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. With my soul, I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me, I will seek you early. For when the judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Let grace be shown to the wicked, yet he will not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he will deal unjustly and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when your hand is lifted up, they will not see but they will see and be ashamed for their envy of the people. Yes, the fire of your enemies will devour them. Lord, you will establish peace for us. For you have also done all our works in us. O Lord, our God, masters besides you have had dominion over us. But by you only we make mention of your name. They are dead. They will not live they are deceased they will not rise therefore you have punished and destroyed them you have made all their memory to perish you have increased the nation o lord you have increased the nation you are glorified you have expanded all the borders of the land lord in trouble they have visited you visited you they poured out a prayer when your chastening was upon them as a woman with child as in pain And cries out in her pangs. When she draws near the time of her delivery, so we have been in your sight, O Lord. So we have been in your sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not accomplished any deliverance on the earth, nor have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Your dead shall live. Together with my dead body, they shall arise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in dust. For your dew is like the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers, and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment, until the indignation is past. For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth
1: will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. Isaiah 27, and we'll make this the last.
0: In that day, the Lord, with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. In that day, sing to her a vineyard of red wine. I, the Lord, kept it. I watered it every moment, lest any hurt it. I keep it day and night. Fury is not with me. Who would set briars and thorns against me in battle? I would go through them. I would burn them together or let them take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. (laughs) Those who come, he shall cause to take root in Jacob. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the world with fruit. Has he struck Israel as he struck those who struck him or has he been slain according to the slaughter of those who were slain by him in measure. By sending it away, you contend with it. He removes it by his rough wind in the day of the east wind. therefore, by this, the iniquity of Jacob will be recovered. And this is all the fruit of taking away his sin. When he makes all the stones of the altar like chalk stones that are beaten to dust, wooden images and incense altars shall not stand. Yet the fortified city will be desolate the habitation forsaken and left like a wilderness. There the calf will feed and there it will lie down and consume its branches. When its boughs are withered, they will be broken off. The woman come and set them on fire for it is a people of no understanding. Therefore, he who made them will not have mercy on them and he who formed them will show them no favor and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will thresh and the channel of the river to the brook of Egypt and you will be gathered by you be gathered one by one o you children of Israel so it shall be in that day the great trumpet will be blown they will come who are about to perish in the land of assyria and they who are outcast in the land of egypt and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount of
1: Jerusalem, in the holy mount of Jerusalem.
0: Um, I just want to spend a couple moments here just reflecting with you all as we've been reading. And if you guys have been journeying with us, if you guys are familiar with our time together as we've been reading through the text, we've come up with a few conclusions. First of all, the, f- the first conclusion is that there's a bigger story to the Bible. Then sometimes we often approach it. Because often when we approach the scripture or we approach the Bible, we look at it as this collection of ideas or thoughts, a collection of verses that we take that gives us wisdom and helps us establish morality, gives us a sense of how we ought to live, how we ought to be. And so it's really. A book that simply teaches us the way that we ought to be, ought to live. And so then we read it that way. And when we read it that way, we tend to then, without any intention, of course, initially, but we tend to fall into a legalistic way of looking at the scripture rather than seeing the story of the scripture, rather than seeing the scripture as a narration, as a story. I've said this before and I'll say it again that often when people read the Bible, people will insert themselves in the Bible, insert their culture in the Bible, insert their worldview in the Bible, insert their perspective in the Bible, and interpret the scripture from their point of view, from their lens and from their eyes. And this is unfortunate. It's a travesty. The reason why is because when you insert yourself in the scripture, you will immediately fall into misinterpretation. Let me say that one more time. When you insert yourself in the Bible, you will immediately fall into mis- uh, a misinterpretation. And the reason why you're going to fall into misinterpretation is because you, when you read it through your lens, you've already filtered out the things that you believe is important, that, that isn't important, the things that seem minuscule. And you will read it inserting a level of morality in the text that isn't there. You will insert a... A politics or a policy, you will insert yourself in a way where you will make the text about yourself. And so I've always said this, and, I've, and I'll say it, and I'll say it over and over again that when you're reading, especially when you're reading the Old Testament, especially when you're reading the Old Testament, but it is even true when you're reading the New Testament, especially when you're reading the Old Testament, the Old Testament is giving you revelation to the big story, the big picture of what God is doing in the life of the people, what God is doing in the story of humanity. What God is doing, it's a bigger story, but we don't read it as a manual for how Christians ought to live. That's not how you ought to read the Old Testament. And I'm just giving you this perspective before I tell you the one thing I want to share with you today. You don't read it that way, so much so that even the Mosaic law itself, take the new Christians in the early church, take the Gentile Christians, I say new Christians, they were all new. Take the Gentile Christians in the early church, the Gentile Christians in the early church who became Christians, who were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to move with the power of God that created the greatest movement ever in human history, in anthropological history. Those people, They did not have an an awareness, an understanding, or an exposure to the Old Testament. They didn't have exposure to the Mosaic law. They didn't have exposure to the Ten Commandments or the book of Leviticus. They didn't have exposure to any of that. And yet they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to move in the power of God, and they were affirmed as Christians. Now, here's the thing that's funny about that. Is, is that you had also the Hebrew Christians who grew up on the Old Testament, who grew up on Old Testament uh, uh, Mosaic law, who grew up on the Ten Commandments, who, and they who followed it couldn't find righteousness, could not find justice in it, but they followed it, and they followed it um, as devout Hebrew christians and now because they followed it as devout hebrew christians they believed that it was necessary to impose that on the gentile christians i referred to this yesterday and i'll refer to you now that when you go back to acts chapter 15 you'll see the debate that was happening in that time the debate that was happening in the council of jerusalem was that the Pharisees who became Christians, they knew the Mosaic law and they knew it well. They believed that the Christians who were Gentiles, who became Christians, that they ought to now follow the Mosaic law, follow the law of the Sabbath and the 10 commandments and the food laws and all the laws that we read in the Old Testament. And yet here they are debating over this because they're saying, This is what was necessary for Christians to be Christians only to find out in the end that it was a Hebrew man who stood up and said, why put a yoke on them, which we were not able to bear? What is he saying there? He's saying that the requirement for the Christian life, Christian living, the Christian lifestyle is not how you follow the Old Testament but rather what it looks like to be the written epistle filled with the Holy Spirit. So now the Old Testament isn't a requirement, okay? It isn't a requirement of Christian living, but rather now when we read the Old Testament, it helps us understand and bring light to what Christ accomplished in the New Testament, the birth of the church. So rather than treating what we read in the Old Testament as a yoke, a law that is placed on us, no, the Sabbath was not made for man. Sorry, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's not meant to bind us and to be a yoke on us, to be imposed on us, but rather it was meant to be a revelation of who God is. A revelation of what God has accomplished. A revelation of, of what God has done. So the mistake that a lot of us make is, is we will read through the Old Testament and we'll start reading through the laws and we'll go, okay, this is what they're telling me to do. The Bible is saying that we need to do this. No, we've got to separate ourselves and say, who, who's actually writing this? And who is this person writing it to? And how does it apply to me? This is so important because this is how people get lost in the sauce. This is how people get lost in the text. This is how people get lost in the story is rather than reading it the way they ought to read it. They read it like it's a book written for them to teach them how to live out a moral or a righteous or a holy life. Holiness is always right. You probably heard that if you grew up in the black church, you probably heard people say holiness is always right. Yeah. And that there's only one who is holy, and that's God himself. When he told the children of Israel to be holy for I am holy, he's talking about being separate for I am separate, being distinct for I'm distinct. And who is he talking to? He was talking to the children of Israel. What a life of holiness looks like for us today was not what a life of holiness looked like for the children of Israel. And this is why this is so critically important is what does distinct list look like in today in, 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 in these days, in these times, what does holiness look like? Why am I bringing all this up? i bringing all this up because
1: we've been reading through from Genesis, but what we're reading is a story of a people and what God is accomplishing through a people.
0: And I say that because I got to back up here for a moment, because this is where people get lost,
1: is we will read this and we'll start imposing ourselves, missing the whole point. God has established a promise through a people. God has established a promise through the children of
0: Israel. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people.
1: To what end? For what purpose? This is where the Hebrew Israelites sometimes have issues, and those
0: who are, uh, you know, Hebrew who are or whatever denomination of Hebrew Israelite you're in, or whatever it is that you believe that pertains to being God's chosen people, who are God's chosen people. I think sometimes we think
1: that being chosen by God or being God's chosen people. Is about power, is about money, is about influence, is about economics, is about military might, is about control. Which is why when
0: they bring those things up, those are just as demonic as the demonic agendas of imposing power on people. That is as much injustice as anything else when we read about what it meant for the children of Israel to be chosen by
1: God, they were not chosen to be the wealthiest, the richest, the most powerful. They were chosen by God to bring the revelation of the kingdom of God. They were
0: chosen by God to be a nation of priests, to be a nation of people, who would show the world what the
1: kingdom of God is like. Who would show the world what it meant to be the kingdom of God, to be
0: the mediators between God and humanity. He chose these people to reconnect all humanity to God. I know I'm making it real simple here, but I got to bring it down to this level. Because we're about to see something big here, as we, even in our reading today, as I'm reflecting on this. He's showing what covenant between humanity and God looks like. Which is why God said, you're going to live on a different set of rules. You're going to live on a different set of laws. You're going to live on something different other than what the rest of the world lives on. The rest of the world lives on power. The rest of the world lives on influence. The rest of the world lives on pleasure. The rest of the world lives on control. The rest of the world lives on these things. But you guys, you're going to live on something else. Because any kingdom that is built on anything other than my kingdom, any kingdom that is built off of ego, Any kingdom built off of me, myself, and I, any kingdom built off of let's glorify our nation, let's glorify our race, let's glorify our identity, let's glorify who we are, let's glorify our money, let's glorify anything that is built on that is not going to last. It will not stand. And I think it's kind of interesting how humanity has a way of studying history, but never learning from it. Since when has it worked? Never in the history of humanity has a kingdom ever stood. Never in the history of humanity has a kingdom lasted forever. Never. We read through this history and the stories. They had their heyday and then they crashed and fell. Then the next one came in, had their heyday and then crashed and fell. And the next one had their heyday and then crashed and fell. Because the reality is, is anything governed by something other than the spirit, the heart, the
1: wisdom and the morality of God will not stand. And we know what the kingdom of God actually looks like. It looks like the kind of kingdom that a lot of us aren't really attracted to. Like when we talk about the kingdom of God, we talk about the rule of God, we talk about the authority of God. It doesn't look like doesn't look like what we want it to look like. The kingdom of God has to be beautiful houses. You know, it's a utopia. The kingdom of God looks like power and influence. But we know what the kingdom of God looks like because we saw how Jesus lived. Here's what's crazy about it, right? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Of course, the
0: disciples thought that was the weirdest thing ever. I thought we were going to establish the kingdom. Jesus is like, no, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus didn't talk about the kingdom as if it was something that was waiting to
1: happen. Jesus talked about the kingdom like it was something that already was. And that it needed to be revealed to the people. I'm just trying to bring it down here. I'm trying to bring it down to our level here for a second because sometimes we overcomplicate this. In simplicity, Jesus was king on earth. He wasn't waiting to be king. He was king and he ruled. How did Jesus rule? Jesus ruled with authority. Well, what kind of authority was it? It was washing feet. It was feeding those who were poor, poor and hungry. It was laying hands on the sick and seeing them healed. That, that, was, that was his authority. That's actually how he ruled. Jesus ruled by sacrificing his life. Isn't it funny that on the cross is the proclamation of Jesus being king? The king of kings. There are many kings, and yet there's a kingdom above all those kingdoms.
0: And while every other kingdom, and you heard me say this before, while every other kingdom has fallen,
1: one kingdom still exists today and will exist in eternity and will exist forever. And that is the kingdom of God.
0: And what's crazy about this is that even a man like Pilate was interrogating him. What's this kingdom you're talking about? Pilate said,
1: what's this kingdom you're talking about? And when Jesus spoke about his kingdom, Pilate was like, okay, this guy's no threat. Pilate wasn't threatened by his kingdom. Pilate wasn't threatened by Jesus' kingdom because Pilate realized our kingdoms don't operate on the same rules. I'm not competing with you. Pilate saw no threat in this man. Herod asked him about the kingdom. And Herod was like, so so you're a king? Is that what you're saying? Are you saying that you're a king? And Jesus would describe the kingdom to them. And Herod was like, oh, oh, this man, oh, he's crazy. Uh, get him out of here. This guy ain't no criminal. He's just crazy. The only people who were threatened by him were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because he threatened their money. Nobody was actually interested in the kingdom. (laughs) And even the disciples didn't fully understand it. And yet the
0: righteousness of God, like the fullness of the righteousness, we talk about the righteousness of God is the justice of God. And the justice of God comes the restoration of his people. And what I love about the story, back up for a moment and then I'm done. Cause I, cause you know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue this tomorrow in our uh, car chronicles. Okay. By the way, I'll post the audio guys. Um, my patrons, I'll post it. I even put it on the, um, I'll put it on the podcast as well. Um, the audio might be different, but it is what it is. We're going back.
1: We're going back. Okay. But now rewind because we've been talking about Jesus. So what does Isaiah have to do with any of that? What does
0: our reading today have anything to do with any of that? Because what we've read, and as I told you before, Isaiah is happening contemporaneously with what we're reading through 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles and, you know, the the book of Kings and 1 Kings, 2 Kings. That story that we read through. You're going to see a lot of overlap even in those stories. And yet Isaiah is overlapping this. This is happening all at the same time. We just read the history. Now we're reading the spiritual implication, what's going on behind the scenes. Y'all heard me say this already. And so Isaiah now is bringing light to what is transpiring. But we should be reminded, even as we've been reading through this, and this is the
1: reminder for me, is. These people who were called to reveal what God is like, called to
0: be a nation of people, a nation of priests, called to be a nation mediating for God, those people, rather than ruling on the law of God, ruled on the law of the land. Let me say that again. Rather than ruling on the law and the justice of God, They ruled on the law of the land, Game of Thrones. And we saw this nation fall into the same consequence as every other nation. Because what governed those nations will die, will not last forever. And yet God had a different calling on them. He said, I I chose you. You are my people. I am your God. You are my people. You're going to rule by you're going to run, you're going to operate, you're going to live, you're going to administrate, you're going to coordinate based off of a different set of rules that is fundamentally different than how the entire world lives. You will be a holy people, separate. These are the things that he's saying to them. This is what God is revealing to them as clearly articulated in what we read in in, in the Mosaic
1: law. What we read, they're living through a different set of rules, but they chose not to. And now the nations have overtaken them. And then Isaiah proclaims
0: a song of salvation because God's promise for the children of Israel was not just for the children of Israel. God's promise for the children of Israel was for humanity. Remember what he said to Abraham, you'll be the father of many nations, not just the nation of Israel
1: but you will father many nations. And now his family, the children of Israel, the nation of people
0: who are called to father many nations now find themselves in
1: captivity because they lived on the same rules as everyone else. But here's the thing about God. God's promises never return void.
0: God's gonna work it out, even in the midst of the mess. God's gonna work it out, even when it's not what you intended it to be. God's gonna work it out, even when what you were supposed to, even when you didn't do what you were supposed to do. God's gonna work it out because God put His name on the children of Israel. When God puts His name on something, I want you to hear very clearly: when God puts His name on something, He's gonna get the glory out of it. When God puts his name on a people, he's going to get glory out of them. Whether they, whether they comply or they do not, whether they obey or they do not, whether they live the way that they ought to live or don't, God is going to finish his story through these people. These people up to this point have exposed the reality that the law was not good enough. The law was not enough to
1: accomplish. What it was meant to accomplish. The law wasn't enough. And this is the beautiful part about it. Is that even when the law wasn't enough. There would be one that would come. Who would come to fulfill the promise that was made on the people.
0: Because the law could not fulfill it for them. And Isaiah is pointing to this reality. And so when we're reading through Isaiah 25. We're seeing all the judgment that has happened to this point, but now all the enemies are going to fall. And then Isaiah begins to give God praise. This is in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of all of it. He says, Oh Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Your counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. He's speaking now, giving God praise, for you have made a city a ruin, a fortified city a ruin, a place of foreigners to be a city no more. He's saying this is what you're going to do, to the enemy, that all who have oppressed us, all who have pressed upon us, the the world that has abused and 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 has has diminished us and has disenfranchised us. This world will come to shambles. This world will be broken because any kingdom other than the kingdom of God will not stand. He's giving him praise even when they have not yet seen it in its, in, in its totality. Even if they haven't seen it in its full fruition, he's saying there is going to be a restoration. And then he says, and then he says in verse 8, But this restoration is bigger than just what we see in the story of history. This is in the story of humanity, in the story of all things, in the restoration of everything in the cosmos. This is bigger than that. He says in verse eight, he will swallow up death forever And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people, he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. What God's going to do is way bigger than just your bank account. It's way bigger than your pocket. It's way bigger than, you know, your relationship. It's way bigger than your marriage. What God is about to do is it goes way beyond that. This is, this has spiritual implications. This has eternal um, implications. This is way bigger than just you know, um, making sure that we get our our, our rights back and making sure that we get whatever form of social justice that we see back. This is bigger than social justice. This is God's justice. And God's justice is coming to take away death. God's judgment, is, justice is coming to take away all pain and all suffering that even through the children of Israel as they experience this pain, this is a mirror of the pain of God's people that this is the consequence of what happens when we've been separated from God. But God still has his name on us. And he says, even in the midst of the pain, we should not be hopeless. Why? Because he points to the fact that the pain that we're experiencing, Isaiah 26, is as a woman with child, is in pain and cries out in her pains when she draws near the time of delivery. So we have have been in your sight, O Lord. Before you can experience this new birth, this new world, this new reality, The pain will augment. There will be a crescendo of pain and suffering and strife. But in the midst of that pain, we're not hopeless. We're hopeful because that pain is productive. That pain is producing something. That pain comes from the fact that there's still something inside that has yet to be revealed. There's something in the people that has yet to be revealed. So yes, they see themselves suffering, but they're not giving up they're not giving up because there's something coming out of this there's something coming out of this there this it's not going to end like this this is not this is not the end there's something better there's something greater there's something better for me there's something better for us there's something better for humanity god's not done because even though we may have screwed it up and
1: even though all the pain and all the death and all the suffering and all the strife may have come from us There's one coming out of us who's going to do for us what we could not do. Who's going to be for us what we could not be. Who's going to live in a way that we could not live. And who's going to die in a way that we could not. This one is going to live the life that we could never live. And he's going to die the death that we should have died. And yet because he died the death that we should have died, but lived the life that we could not live, we're going to get to live a life that we never deserve to live. Israel knows that it's pain. And this is the tension that we're left with today.
0: Israel is giving God praise even in the midst of the
1: pain. Because Israel knows there's a promise. There's something coming out of us. And what Isaiah is prophesying is that you're pregnant, Israel.